great song and that's where we are we are in a series about hope and today I'm gonna to be in John chapter 21 I would incur oh my dear I need you to run over get you my need I need my goggles you want mine I've got the little no no I need mine <laughs> so um, so I got a I got a delay while Paul go gets my because I can't read anything so um, so anyway but yeah we are we're gonna be in John chapter 21 today and uh, we are in this series about hope and today I want to talk about having hope when you are spiritually paralyzed you know there are um, people all around the world who have to live paralyzed you know they have been in an accident or they due to an illness um, they're paralyzed something happened to them that they are able to walk they're unable to move they are paralyzed have you ever been paralyzed not physically but maybe um, because out of fear something just scared you so bad that you just act literally couldn't move I saw this actually happen Friday um, Emily Kenny who has stepped into the role of cleaning the church was up here Friday all by herself and when you're in this church by yourself you know you don't expect someone else to be in the room with you and uh, so Friday I had to come up um, and meet the, the roofing company and um, I walk into the church and I know I'm saying to myself I'm like I need to do something to get her attention because I will freak her to death. And uh, I'm, she's over in the kids' area and she's sweeping. And I'm going, doing this. Thank you. And she looked up and all of a sudden she goes, ah! And she's like, <laughs> she literally could not move. And she was just like paralyzed because I scared Jesus right out of her. I mean, I thought she was going to fall over, but she could not literally move because she was just that frightened, you know, and sometimes that happens. Have you ever been like paralyzed in your vocal cords because somebody does something or says something that is so out there, you just are like, you don't know what to say. You're just paralyzed in your speech. Something is going on and you're just like, you're paralyzed. Let me ask you this. Have you ever been paralyzed spiritually? Have you ever been, you've ever done something or you have had something happen to you that has just caused you to become paralyzed spiritually? It, it, it's like your walk with God just comes to a complete halt and you're not moving spiritually, you know, and, and you, you're, you're just dead in the water. It, like you're in that spiritual wilderness, you're in that spiritual desert, and you're not going anywhere. And sometimes, you know, we, we can get, we can become spiritually paralyzed, maybe one of three different reasons, or maybe all three. One, we can become spiritually paralyzed because of sin. You know, we're just, we're just doing something we shouldn't be doing. We're living sinful, and, and that paralyzes us spiritually. Um, we can become paralyzed spiritually because of suffering. You know, God takes us and allows us to go through the trials and the storms and we go through suffering. He allows the tragedy into our life and then all of a sudden we begin to question God. We begin to become discouraged in our faith. We become and if, sometimes even angry at God and that can cause us to become spiritually paralyzed. And sometimes we can just become spiritually paralyzed just because of self. We just allow ourselves to become lazy spiritually we we just begin to become you know like 
we just start to soak up the world more than the word and we just get our place get ourselves in a place where we're just not moving anymore we can become paralyzed spiritually and so that's where i want to go today looking in john chapter 21 with peter i want to show today how i believe that peter was in a state of spiritual paralysis and so we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 19, but I want to just begin by reading the first three verses. And there in chapter 21, it says, After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. That's also called, um, known as the Sea of Galilee. It says, And he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, called the twin, Nathaniel of Canaan and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, which were James and John, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. And then they said to him, we will go with you. They went out and got into the boat and that night they caught nothing. So here is Peter saying, I'm going fishing. Now on the, the surface, what's the big deal? He's going fishing. Well, we need to understand him saying, I'm going fishing, isn't like you and I saying we're going fishing. You see, when he says he's going fishing, what he is actually saying is, I'm going back to my old occupation. Because if you look in verse 7, it even says that when he was out in the boat, he had stripped down because he was at work. You see, he went back to work. He went back to the occupation that he was doing prior to following Christ. Because you remember three years earlier, he was doing his occupation with his brother Andrew. He and Andrew were in the boat fishing and Jesus was walking by the Sea of Galilee, sees Peter and Andrew and says, hey, follow me. And they begin to follow Jesus and says, and they left their nets. Meaning they left that job behind and they began to follow Jesus. And for three years they did his work until now he goes back to fishing the questions has got to be asked why did peter go back to fishing why does he not continue to do the mission that jesus called them to do why does he go back to his old occupation and this is where i believe that peter goes back to fishing because he's spiritually paralyzed and I want to show you this before we really dive into our text. I got to I got to set this up. I, I got to take a few minutes to show you why I believe that Peter was spiritually paralyzed, that that he was dead in the water, that that something that what happened to him was so tragic that he could not move forward. He was paralyzed spiritually. So. Let me set this up and let me show you why I, I believe this is the case. Before Jesus was arrested and Jesus was having his last supper with the disciples, Jesus makes a declaration to the disciples and he says, you all are going to fall away on account of me. He's like, what's about to take place? You're not sticking around. Well, Peter begins to make some very bold statements to Jesus in Matthew chapter 26, after Jesus says to them, you're all going to fall away, Peter says this in Matthew chapter 26, verse 33. He says, though they all fall away because of you, 
I will never fall away. And Jesus said to him, truly, I tell you, this very night before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times, Peter. And Peter said to him, even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. In Luke chapter 22, verse 33, Peter says this to Jesus. He says, Lord, I am ready to go to both prison and to death with you. In John 13, 26, Jesus says, he says, where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow me afterward. And Peter said to him, Lord, why can't I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. But tragically, after Peter makes those three amazing, bold statements, what does he do? He denies Christ. He ends up, when Jesus is finally arrested and Jesus is before the high priest, it says that Peter is outside watching. And then all of a sudden, some people around Peter, as he's warming himself by a fire, there are some people that I recognize him and they start to say, hey, wait a minute, you are one of his followers. And three different times, Peter starts to declare, you don't know what you're talking about. And he three times denies Christ. And in Luke chapter 22, verse 60, it says it this way. It says, immediately while Peter was still speaking, the rooster crowed, and the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And Peter remembered what the Lord said to him, before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. I mean, picture that scene. There's Peter. In fact, in Matthew, it says that Peter got so angry, he even cursed at the people. He swore at them. And once he denies Jesus the third time, the rooster crows, and picture the scene, Jesus turns his head. He's no longer looking at the high priest, no long, longer looking at the people accusing him. He turns and he looks at Peter. And Peter looks at him eye to eye. And then all of a sudden, man, Jesus was right. And he goes out and he weeps bitterly. Peter was absolutely devastated. It wasn't like Peter was like, ah, okay, I blew it. Let's move on. No, no, no. He wept bitterly. Have you ever been to that place in your life where you, when you have cried, you have cried so hard over something that it felt like the insides were going to come out? Peter wept bitterly. He was broken. He was like something happened inside of him. And it caused him, I believe, to come to a place where he could not recover. There was something going on that he couldn't re-engage. And I kept thinking about this, and I was like, I kept thinking, do I want to put this in as an illustration? But I think I have to. Who has ever seen the movie Top Gun? <laughs> Bill's like, heard the word re-engage. He knows where I'm going. Okay, how, or let me ask you this. How many of you in here have never seen the movie Top Gun? Raise your hands. Okay, I got to set this up because you guys are in a world that must be really bad. Okay, <laughs> this is one of the greatest movies of all time. Go watch it, all right? Movie from 1986, Top Gun. It's about Navy fighter pilots and, and the main character is Tom Cruise and his, his, his 
his character is Maverick and his co-pilot is Goose and, and they're at this at the Naval Weapons Fighter School and they're learning to be better pilots and in throughout the movie they're in competition with other fighter pilots. Well in this one scene um, Maverick's plane loses an engine and it goes into a yaw spin and going this way and it goes out to sea and it crashes and, and when they were ejecting Goose hits the canopy and he's killed. And Goose and Maverick were, were pilot and co-pilot for years and they were best friends and Maverick lost it. He blamed himself. He, he, couldn't, he, he just couldn't accept that, that, that Goose was dead and they kept trying to send him up but he wouldn't engage. He, he, would, he would duck out of the fight. He, he just wouldn't. He, and they kept saying he won't engage. He won't engage. And even one scene he was in, a, in the airport and his girlfriend comes. And he's like, she's like, where's Maverick? The, he, you were on fire. You were, you were bigger than life. And he's like, it's over. It's just over. You see, he was broken to the core. And I believe this is where Peter was. He was so broken to the core, he could not engage. And again, let me show you why I believe this. In Luke chapter 24, it tells us that Jesus appeared to Peter by himself. After the resurrection, after Jesus rose from the dead, he appeared to Peter by himself. Now, it doesn't say any more than that. We don't know what Jesus said to Peter. We don't know what, there was, what was in the conversation. We don't know, you know, know anything. It just says that Jesus appeared to Peter. But that's the first time that Peter saw the resurrected Christ. The second time we see Jesus appearing to disciples is right here in John chapter 20. If you flip back one chapter, even if you look at John chapter 20, verse 19, it says, on the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for the fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. And Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even I am sending you. So he's reestablishing re the commission. He's like, hey guys, listen, just because I have been crucified and I'm getting ready to go back to the Father, the mission's not over. I'm passing the baton. The race has got to continue. And so just as the Father has sent me, I'm sending you. So guess what? Get up and go. Preach the, preach the gospel. Man, make disciples. Get out there. Second time, Peter has seen Christ resurrected and has now heard the commission has heard the plea, has heard the call. Here's what I want you to do. But then even, but at that time it says, now tells us that Thomas wasn't there. Thomas was doubting. I don't think Jesus is resurrected. And then if you look at verse 26, eight days later, he says, the disciples were inside again. Thomas was with them and all the, door, all the doors were locked. Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, put your finger here. And see my hands and put, your hand, put, and put out your hand and place it in my side. He says, do not disbelieve, but believe. So again, the third time the disciples are gathered, G Peter would be in that group and Jesus appears a, a third time to them. And he's like, believe me. Believe what you see. So Peter has had a personal invite with Jesus. He, has the, he saw him again and has the challenge given to them. And now he sees him a third time. 
Peter has seen the resurrected Christ. He has seen Jesus alive. He's heard Jesus call them, tell them to believe, but yet he steps back and he says, I'm going fishing. I'm going back to work. Jesus told them three years ago, no longer will you be fishers of fish, you will be fishers of men. And that call, that mission was reinforced when he appeared to them. I am sending you. You're gonna go out and still be fishers of men, but Peter retreated and he went back to being a fisherman. And again, I believe it's because he was spiritually paralyzed. That when Jesus appeared to him and he was with the disciples, I sat and wondered, do you think maybe Peter just kind of stood back in the back and was like, I can't do it. I don't have it in me. I think he felt truly so broken inside the fact that he denied Christ. And maybe on the outside, he was happy. Maybe on the outside, he was like, man, I'm so thankful and rejoicing that Jesus is alive. But I think inside, he was still broken. And he was at a point where the disciples are together again. And he's just like, you know what? It's over. He's like Maverick in the, in, in the airport. It's over. I, 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 do, I don't have it. I'm going fishing. I'm going back to work. And you got to understand that you and I can be in that same place. That there can be things that happen to us. Things we do that cause us to come to a place where we can become spiritually paralyzed where we just stop we we just quit we just we are dead in the water spiritually we're not moving we're not walking with Christ we are just dead paralyzed and we need to see that being spiritually paralyzed is not a good place to be Here's three things that, are, that, that being spiritually paralyzed affects. Here's the first thing. Being spiritually paralyzed affects decisions. When I'm spiritually paralyzed, it affects my decisions. Here's Peter. He's, been, he's seen Jesus resurrected. He knows Jesus is resurrected. He's been called by Jesus again. And what's he make, what decision does he make? I'm going fishing. I'm not going to do what Jesus said. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to go back to work. I'm going back to fishing. It's no different for you and I. When you and I are spiritually paralyzed, when we are just dead in the water with God, when we're not moving forward with God, when it just seems like I am just dead, paralyzed in this thing, we make bad decisions. We're no longer making decisions based on God's word. We're no longer making decisions, you know, what we, what we do is we start to all of a sudden listen to the world again. We start to listen to the culture instead of listening to Christ and his word. We begin to, you know, like even Peter, he went back to his old life. How many of us sometimes we start going backward into that old life again? We start making decisions that are completely opposite to the word of God. Here's the second thing, being spiritually paralyzed affects people. Notice it says that Peter said, I'm going fishing. He didn't, he didn't say, guys, you want to come with me? He just said, I'm going fishing. But the other guys were like, hey, we're going to go with you. Might as well. Let's all go back to work. 
You see, Peter's decision to go back to fishing just didn't affect him, but it affected six other disciples. And I sit and wonder, when you and I sit too long being spiritually paralyzed, how does it affect other people in my life? Think of a spouse who is spiritually paralyzed and it affects the other spouse. Or a parent that is spiritually paralyzed affects a family. Or somebody spiritually paralyzed, how it affects the church. You see, when I'm spiritually paralyzed and I'm not moving, I'm not going, I'm not doing anything, I step back, I quit, I stop, it affects other people in my life. And then thirdly, being spiritually paralyzed affects fruitfulness. Notice in the text, it says, we'll go with you. And it says, they went out and they fished. They got in the boat and they fished all night and they caught nothing. I mean, they're bearing fruit nowhere. They're bearing no spiritual fruit and they're bearing no physical fruit. All right? They're not catching men for God. They're not being fishers of men. And man, even though they are professional fishermen, they're catching nothing. Fruitless. You know, we need to understand that when we are spiritually paralyzed, all of a sudden we, we stop depending on Christ and we start to work in our own effort. We start to depend on self. We start to you know, focus on, hey, here's what the world's doing. We focus on the culture. We, we quit focusing eyes off of Christ, eyes on the world, and it gets us all out of whack. And all of a sudden, we're not fruitful for Christ any longer. In John chapter 15, Jesus tells us that he is the, the vine and we are the branches. And he says, if you abide in me and I abide on, in you, you will bear fruit. And he, he makes it very clear. He says, a branch by itself cannot bear fruit. You see, when we become spiritually paralyzed and we get ourselves out of and away from Christ, we become fruitless. I don't think it's, I don't find it a coincidence at all that these guys did not catch any fish. When I was discussing this message with Paula, she said something I thought was very interesting. She goes, you can almost see the grace of God in the fact that they did not catch any fish. Because when you go down a little bit, and we're going to see this here in a few moments, when they're out there and they're catching nothing, Jesus cries out to them. And he says, hey, did you guys catch anything? They're like, no. He's like, hey, do me a favor. Throw your net on the other side of the boat. And they do, and they catch a boatload of fish. That's when they're able to go, that's Jesus. Now, if they would have caught already a boatload of fish, and Jesus would have said, oh, hey, by the way, throw your net on the other side. You'll catch some fish. They would have been like, dude, you're whacked. We already caught fish. And they would have no need to know it was Jesus. But here they are being fruitless. And Jesus is able to say, hey, you know what? Let me show you something. You see, being spiritually paralyzed is not a good place to be. And so today... I. In the rest of our text, I want to show us if you are at a place where you are spiritually paralyzed. I sit and scratch my head. Um, how many people are spiritually paralyzed in the church over this past year? What has COVID done to people in the church? How many people are, are, they just feel isolated and alone. They feel broken. They feel empty. They feel like, I'm telling you, people are feeling like I am paralyzed and I want to show us how what needs to take place to get us moving again so if you're here or you're listening online and you feel you are paralyzed spiritually there is hope 
of knowing you can get moving again. So let's look at um, some things that, that need to take place in order to get us moving again spiritually. Here's the first thing. Realize Jesus doesn't stop pursuing. We need to realize Jesus does not stop pursuing us. And so it says, after this, after what? After that he has already appeared to these guys. After the fact that he has um, shown himself to be resurrected. After the fact that he already told them, hey, get out there. Go preach the gospel. I'm sending you. After the fact that these guys... um, didn't do what he said and they go back to work and and go back to fishing after all of this it says jesus revealed himself again to the disciples keyword again i love that because that tells me uh jesus didn't quit you see the disciples were the ones that said, you know what, we're not going to fish for men, we're going to go back to fish for fish. And, and, and they were the ones that said, were like, well, we saw Jesus, we heard Jesus, we know Jesus, but we don't want to do it the way Jesus did. We're going to go do our thing. And here's Jesus uh, revealing himself again. Again. You see, Jesus, how many of you know Jesus could have been like, you know what, I'm so done. If these guys, I've revealed myself. I mean, I I stuck out my hand and said, feel it. Here's my side. Feel it. They saw me. I mean, I'm just appearing in a room. And yet they don't do what I want. You know what? Forget them. I'm just going to go back to the Father and let them do what they want. If they don't want to do what I want, then I'm not going to help them at all. If they're going to move away from me, I'm going to move away from them. He doesn't do that. He reveals himself to them again. You see, this is the way Jesus is. He doesn't stop pursuing us. He doesn't stop coming after us. In Luke chapter 15, he gives the parable of the lost sheep. And he says, if a shepherd has a hundred sheep and one of those sheep gets lost, does he not leave the 99? And he, and it says he will go after the one until he finds it. It's not like he goes after the one for five minutes. It's like, I can't find it. Oh, well, no, he goes after the one until he finds it. That means if it's a day, it'll take a day. If it's a week, if it's a month, he will keep looking for that one until he finds it. That's what Jesus does. In Matthew chapter 28, Jesus says, I am with you always, always. Hebrews 13 tells us that Jesus will never leave us nor forsake us. The book of Psalms repeats and reiterates that God's love and faithfulness endures always. In Revelation chapter three, Jesus says, I stand at the door and knock. I just keep knocking until you want to open the door and I'll come in. You see, Jesus doesn't stop. He keeps coming after us. He keeps pursuing us. No matter, listen, you may be spiritually paralyzed right now. You may be spiritually dead in the water right now. You may be at a place where you're like, you know what? I just don't have any interest with God right now. I don't want to, I don't want to go to church. I don't want to serve. I don't really don't want to do anything with God right now because you know what? I'm just done. I just don't have it in me. And guess what? You may be stopping on God. You may be not moving with Jesus, but guess what? Jesus isn't stopping for you. 
He's going to keep going. He's going to keep pursuing. He's going to keep knocking on the door of your heart. He's going to keep coming after you. Why? Because he, he keeps pursuing. If you're a sheep that is, feels lost and abandoned, he's going to keep coming after. And he's going to reveal himself to you. He's going to make himself known. Here's the second thing. Recognize Jesus doesn't stop caring. So not only do you need to realize that he doesn't stop pursuing, recognize that he doesn't stop caring. So again, look at verse 4. It says, just as the day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Probably they couldn't recognize him because it was probably still pretty dark. And, and the text tells us um, down in verse 8 that they were about 100 yards off the shore. So they probably saw a figure, but couldn't identify it was Jesus. And in verse 5, it says, and Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? Now, some of you may have a version, instead of using the word children, it says friends. And, and re, literally, the word friend is probably a less satisfactory translation because the Greek word used here is pation, which means child. What Jesus is conveying here, instead of saying friends, he calls them children, calls them a child, not to degrade them, but he's showing the relationship he has with them. He, he's showing them that I care for you so much, you are like a child to a father. He, he's like, you're, you're, you're close to me like you're a child of God and, and you are in his family. You are my children. And he's trying to, he's revealing his, his heart to these men. Again, even though they were the ones that have made the decision to stop and go somewhere else. They were the ones who said, I don't want to go and move forward with, with what Jesus said. I want to go back to fishing. And yet here's Jesus calling them his children. And he goes on and he says, have you caught any fish? And they answer no. And he said to them, cast your net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. And so they cast it and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. Again, Jesus could have been like, I'm so over you guys. Fine, if you, want, if you want to fish, fish. Figure it out. Do it yourself. But, he, but here he is. He's just like, I'm going to blow their socks off again. Because this is the way he got Peter's attention in the first time. And now he's going to do it again. He's showing his love for them. And this is what you and I need to understand. That, that no matter what we're going through, what we've done, the love of God does not stop. God's care for us is not contingent upon whether we do things right or wrong. Whether we're like super Christian today, God's love is a little bit better. To, no, 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 no. God's love and care and mercy and consistent all the time. You see, here's where the enemy is so good for, toward you and I. He um, loves to convince you and I, um, like, when you're living in sin. Okay, let, let's just be honest. The Bible says we're all sinners. We still sin. But here's what the enemy wants to convince you. You've done too much. You've gone too far. And there's no way God can love you. 
There's no way that God cares for you. There's no way God can forgive you. And guess what that makes me do? When I start to believe that lie, when I start to really believe I've done too much, I've, I've done this one thing way too many times, I've hurt that person way too badly, I I've just, my sin is too horrible, I start to believe the lie, and guess what it does? It paralyzes me. It stops me cold in my spiritual shoes. And I'm not moving. Why? Because the sin, because the lie keeps me in the sin. The enemy's going to convince you, well, you might as well, you've already done it, you might as well keep doing it. And the enemy wants to convince us that God can't forgive, he doesn't love, he doesn't care. And so when we can convince, when he can convince us that, we will just halt spiritually and stop. And we'll become paralyzed because the enemy convinces us that God's love has run out on you. Oh, he loves everybody else, but not you. Same goes for when we're in suffering. You know, when we're going through the trial, when we're going through the pain and, and God has allowed something into our life, again, the enemy is going to convince us God does not love you. The enemy will convince you, hey, if God truly cared about you, if he truly loved you, he wouldn't have put that in your life. He wouldn't have allowed that crisis into your life. He wouldn't allow you to be going through the suffering for so long. So because you're in that suffering for so long, because he allowed the tragedy into your life, that is evidence that he does not care for you. Because if he is such a loving God, he would love you by taking this away. He would love you by not putting you in it in the first place. So you can't trust in his love. You can't trust the fact that he cares for you. And again, the more I trust the lie, the more I become more paralyzed. And I'm not moving. You know, even with ourself, when we just become spiritually lazy, when we just allow ourselves to get pulled away from Christ, the enemy will convince you, you know what? Just keep on going. Because you, you're, he wants to convince you and I that we can't get enough of God's love. We can't earn enough God's love. You know, you can do all that spiritual stuff and it doesn't matter. Listen, we need to recognize and to understand that the love of Christ for you is deeper than you can ever understand. It is richer than you and I can ever know. And that's why you and I need to grasp, we need to recognize that Christ doesn't stop caring. He doesn't stop loving. Third thing, resist the temptation to stay in the boat or I should say to stay put. Resist the temptation to stay put. Look at verse seven. So after the, the great catch of fish, verse seven says, and the disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, it's the Lord. And when Simon Peter heard it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment for he had stripped it for work and threw himself into the sea. I love that. The moment Peter figured out it's Jesus, guess where he did not stay? In the boat. He was like, y'all take care of the fish, I'm out of here. And he just hurls himself into the sea and he becomes the Michael Phelps. And he is just swimming as fast as he can to get to the shore, to get to Jesus. Because he's, I think, finally figured it out. 
that's who I need. I thought I could, I thought I'd be fine by going back to fishing, but I'm not. He knew he needed Christ and he throws himself, he hurls himself into the sea to get to the shore, to get to his savior. You see, the temptation that you and I have, and this again, where the enemy is so good, when we're living in sin, when we are sinning, the enemy wants to tell you, stay in your boat. Stay in the boat of sin, it's okay. When we're angry at God because of the suffering we're going through, when we're disappointed at God, we're discouraged in our faith, the enemy is gonna convince you, stay in the boat. Stay angry at God. You know what? He doesn't deserve, you know, your, 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 your best. He doesn't deserve your love. You know, if he's going to treat you like this, stay in your boat. Stay angry. You see, the enemy wants you and I to stay in the boat. He doesn't want us hurling ourselves overboard. He doesn't want you and I getting to Jesus because he knows if I can keep them in the boat, I keep them ineffective. I keep them separated from God. I keep them, I keep them being, um, that they're not going to bear, bear any fruit for the glory of God. You see, if Peter and the disciples would have stayed in the boat, they would have just kept on fishing for fish, and they would have never fished for men. You and I have got to get out of the boat. You've got to make that decision. And I'm telling you, some of you, you have been spiritually paralyzed for a while, and you've remained in your boat. The enemy's making your boat comfortable. You've got the nice little padded seat. You've got your cooler. The boat is comfortable. And you're just drifting away. You've got to get out of the boat. You've got to get to the point where you're like, I don't want to be in this sin anymore. I don't want to be in this anger anymore. I don't want to stay in my selfish stuff, selfishness anymore. Man, I want to get back to Christ. And that's when it begins to change. That's when, that's when all of a sudden, instead of being paralyzed and, 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 and halted, it begins to move me. You know, it's kind of like, you know, um, anything mechanical that's, that's rusted and you try to, to, to move it and you squirt it with some WD-40 or something, you lube it up and, and then all of a sudden you can start to move it and it go snap, it'll break, it'll free it. And then it starts to move. You see, right now, when you are in the boat, you're rusted. You're stopped. You're halted. You're not moving. And guess what? You need some lubrication. All right? You need, you need some of the WD-40 that Christ can spray on you to break you free and to get you out of the boat. Here's the fourth thing. Receive the spiritual nourishment that Jesus provides. Look at verse nine. It says, when they got on land, they saw the charcoal fire in place with the fish laid on it and bread. And Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore and full of fish, 153 of them. That's when you know they're real fishermen. You know, they're like, dude, I got to count these. And they're one, two, three, 153. If it was some other, like, I don't know, just let's eat. All right. Verse 12 says, and Jesus said to them, I love this, come and have breakfast. Now, none of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. And Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them. And so with the fish. 
This was now the third time that Jesus revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. See, Jesus is like, okay, man, I know they've been fishing all night. They're probably hungry. You know what? Come. Come on, guys. Let's have a meal together. And he feeds them and he he nourishes them physically. All right? But how many of you know Jesus is doing more than just physical nourishment right now? It was spiritual nourishment. All right? Because they knew it was the Lord. And now he's beginning, he's going to start working in them and, and, and reviving them and restoring them, especially Peter. You see, you and I, when you and I are physically stuck, when we are physically or spiritually paralyzed, we're spiritually not moving, we're at a halt, dead in the water, we're like that rusty wheel that's not moving. And like I said, you got to have the WD-40 of Jesus upon you. This is a spiritual nourishment that you and I have got to take in. Because this is why the enemy wants to keep you in the boat. Because if he can keep you in the boat, guess what he keeps you from doing? He keeps you from coming to church and worship. He keeps you from reading the word of God. He keeps you from prayer. He keeps you from sharing your faith. He keeps you from anything that is a spiritual discipline because he knows if I can keep you from your spiritual disciplines, I will keep you spiritually weak. And he can keep you spiritually paralyzed. You see, just like a paralyzed person who sits in a wheelchair, they they may not be able to walk They may not be able to move, but they still eat food because their body needs it. They got to nourish their body. So guess what? You may be spiritually paralyzed right now. You may not be moving spiritually. You may not be wanting to move forward, but I'm telling you, you start to take in the nourishment of Christ. You start to once again, take in the word of God. You start taking time to pray. You start saying, man, I got to get to worship. I've got to start. You start doing these things. All of a sudden it starts to, you start feeling a little bit stronger, a little bit like, Hey, I can do this. You start taking in the nourishment of Christ. He provides his word. He provides these disciplines, not out of duty, but so you and I can grow stronger. And when you and I are paralyzed spiritually, we need to take in that nourishment. And then here's the fifth thing. Lastly, how to get moving again when you're spiritually paralyzed, and it's this. Respond to the challenge of restoration. You got to respond to the challenge of restoration. In verse 15, it says, and when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, you notice it doesn't say he said to the seven, he's directing right to Simon now. Because the seven weren't, all seven weren't paralyzed. It was Peter. Peter is the main issue here. And so now Jesus is now specifically talking to Peter. And he says to Peter, he says, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Now, when he says, do you love me more than these? He's not asking, do you love me more than, than, than do you love these men? He's saying, do you love me more than these men love me? Because we got to go back to when Jesus said, you all will fall away. Jesus said, you know what? All these men may fall away, but I won't. He elevated himself higher than the others. And so it's almost like Jesus is saying, I know these men love me. Where are you at, Peter? And he's like, do you love me more than these men love me? And Peter responds, he says, yes, Lord, you know I love you. 
And he said, feed my lambs. Now he's recommissioning you again. He's like, here's what I want you to do. And he said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know I love you. Tend my sheep. There's that. I'm sending you. Here's, here's your job. And he said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And then Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. When Jesus was saying to Peter, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Jesus wasn't sitting there going, oh, I hope he says he does because I really need to be assured that he loves me. Jesus wasn't, Jesus was saying these things not for himself, but for Peter's sake. He was trying to get Peter to see the gravity of where he was. Remember, three times he told Jesus, I will never deny you. I will go to prison for you. I will die for you. Three times he made bold declarations and three times he denied him. Now here's three times he needs to hear, Peter, do you love me? And do you notice it's a yes or no answer? He doesn't say, Peter, you, you have to love me. He says, do you love me? Pause. Peter has a decision to make. Am I going to get back on board or am I not? You know I love you, Jesus. Feed my sheep. Do you love me? Yes, I do. Tend to my sheep. Do you love me? Do you notice that he was grieved? Isn't that just like the flesh? Peter's like all out of sorts. See, Peter's still not quite getting it. That man, dude, it's almost like if I, if I was Jesus, I would have been like, dude, do you not realize what you did? How can you, how can you be upset right now? But he was grieved because that's what the flesh does. Peter thought he was okay with one or two. But Jesus is like, one more time, Peter, because you've got to know where you're at. Are you willing to get on board on this thing? Are you ready to go? Because look at the rest of the text. Look at verse 18. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk whenever you wanted. And when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. He said this to show what kind of death and he was to glorify God. And, but here it is. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. There's the challenge. Are you ready, Peter? Because I can't make it for you. Are you ready, Peter? Because I'm not going to force you. Are you ready to do this, Peter? Follow me then. Get done with fishing and start fishing for men. Let's get the mission going again. As the Father has sent me, I'm sending you. Go, go after my sheep. Go tend to them. Go feed them. Take care of them. Let's do this, Peter. Are you ready? And Peter had to know himself. He had to realize himself. I can't sit here and be paralyzed anymore. I can't sit back and think it's all done. I, I got to get through this. Because he had to make the decision. I have got to follow Christ. It was up to him. He had to hear the challenge. He had to hear the challenge of restoration and go, you know what? I'm ready once again spiritually. I'm ready once again ministerially. Let's do this thing. And maybe that's where some of you are today. You are spiritually paralyzed and I pray that this message has been the challenge for you. 
The challenge to hear the call into restoration. The challenge to hear the call to say, you know what? I've, I've sat in my boat way too long. I, I've just, I've listened to the enemy way too long. I've just sat here and I've been spiritually paralyzed way too long. It's time for me to step back into this thing and follow Christ once again. You see, being spiritually paralyzed doesn't mean you're not a believer. It just means you're not moving with Christ. You're not moving forward. You're dead, just dead in the water. You're bearing no fruit making no impact, and the enemy loves that. I pray today you've heard the call, you've heard the challenge. Can you recognize where you are? And can you begin to step forward and go, you know what, I need to start nourishing myself. I need to start getting that nourishment of Christ in me. I need to get out of this boat and I need to step into that call and I need to once again and say, I'm gonna follow Jesus. You're spiritually dead today. That's where you're at. And you've got to make the choice. I can't make it for you. Your spouse can't make it for you. No one can make that decision for you. All you can do is hear the challenge and step into it. And I pray that today, if that's you, step into that. Why don't we all pray? Let's get ready to close. Father, we thank you for your loving kindness to us. We thank you for the truth of your word. Jesus, thank you that you always care for us and never stop pursuing us. And Lord, I just want to lift up anyone, whether here or listening online, who is spiritually paralyzed. And maybe because of this past year, COVID has done a number on them. Maybe there are people paralyzed because they're living in sin right now they've been making bad choices and the enemy has convinced them that you don't love them or care for them maybe there are people here spiritually paralyzed because they've gone through suffering and pain and through the trials lord and they're discouraged and disappointed even angry and again, the enemy's convincing them that, you know what, God doesn't care for you or love you. I pray, God, that they would dispel the darkness and dispel the lie and believe the truth that you love them and care for them. And your desire for them is to see them jump out of that boat, to see them shake loose and break free from the rust of being spiritually paralyzed. Lord, I pray that they would feel and just sense the nourishment that fresh water as they are in that spiritual wilderness and desert. And Lord, I pray that you would revive their hearts. I pray, Father, that you would come into these people's lives just as the spring rains water the earth, your presence would water them. And that, Lord, whoever is hearing this and if they are spiritually paralyzed, that they would recognize it within themselves and hear the call, follow me. So, Father, we just, I just believe that you're going to move in people's hearts and let this message, the Lord, just go deep and bring change, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and close.